Hello, I'm Ray Reich, founder and CEO of RevOps Squared, and your host of the Metrics That Measure Up podcast. We talk to a wide variety of B2B SaaS and cloud thought leaders, executives, investors, and people just like you to discuss the metrics and benchmarks they use to make metrics-informed decisions. Now on to today's show. Welcome to today's episode of the Metrics That Measure Up podcast. We are joined by Carson Conant, the founder and CEO of Mediafly. Today, we'll be covering three main topic areas with Carson. First, sales process versus customer journey. Second, the customer life cycle, a cross-functional reality. And third, the customer experience, moving from reactive to predictive. Carson, please take a moment to give a brief background of your journey to becoming a guest on the Metrics That Measure Up podcast. Oh, thanks, Ray. It's great to be here. So kind of just quick background on me. So I'm the founder of Mediafly, and I've had the pleasure of running Mediafly for about 15 years now and evolved through many different kind of neat things. And we're focused on, we're a revenue enablement platform focused on bringing together revenue intelligence and sales enablement, revenue enablement capabilities into one cohesive solution. So hopefully that did a good job of kind of summing it up real quick without being too lengthy. Um, I look forward to talking. So let's jump right into the middle of a, a topic that I've, you know, I know we've talked about a little bit and everybody and their go-to-market teams are talking about, and that is the customer journey. It's a big highfalutin word, but Carson, how do you define customer journey? I would describe it as circuitous. I think it's interesting. You know, I talk more about buyer journey or seller journey because I think they're viewed in, in very different dimensions, right? So when I think of the, the buyer journey, which I think is probably closer to what you're talking about from the customer journey, essentially it's, it's that company or that person's journey to choosing the solution that they want to leverage and then ultimately their relationship with that company later on. When I think of their journey there, it's very exploratory. It's, you know, kissing a lot of frogs. It's reading a lot of stuff. I think it's a totally different experience than the other side of things, which is, I think, the seller journey, which is, you know, kind of along the, for the ride on that circuitous route, um, which is really frustrating to a lot of folks. But ultimately, there, the seller is entirely trying to figure out how to make it more linear, like streamline it, get them to yes faster, rather than being a Sherpa or a kind of a friend on this crazy, crazy long buyer journey. Okay, so let's break it down a little bit here, Carson. So the buyer journey, the customer journey, same thing, right? Basically. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you know, we talked about one of the beauties of the the SaaS and subscription revenue model is you know we can have a lower barrier, hopefully, to get them onboarded as a new customer. Then the challenge is to retain them, expand over time. Are you saying the customer journey really is more holistic and it goes beyond the initial acquisition? but it looks at that entire cycle from acquisition to retention to expansion, right? Absolutely. Yes. hundred percent agree with that. So our organization structures don't really mimic the buyer's journey. We still have marketing, then we have sales, and now we got this great new organization investment called customer success, often responsible for the retention and sometimes expansion. Do you think our go-to-market organizations from both a structure and a strategy perspective are really mimicking a customer journey? Well, that's a great question. So no, I absolutely do not think that's the case. 
you know, I think it gets a little closer as the, you know, the more the humans get involved in the sales process. But I think to your point, I mean, I think there's some distinct handoffs between that kind of marketing lead gen function onto the kind of more sales function. And then you're right, then it's the customer support, nurturing account management, just some context there. I think for the customer, I think, you know, that early phase is probably very different feeling from them. I think it kind of, you know, it's kind of like moving down that funnel, right? It's much more exploratory and much more fact-finding and talking to a lot of different companies. I would say that the customer journey where it's interacting with the salesperson, I think is is not that dissimilar with then interacting with the customer success and, you know, service and nurture organization. But I would say that there's a kind of an air gap there, you know, in solutions and communication and handoff um, between those two pieces. If I even look at certain things, we're going to get right into the enablement practice you talked about a little bit earlier, but I still see marketing has their own goals in the buyer journey. Leads, maybe they're really advanced and have a qualified pipeline and maybe they kind of share the revenue goal, but then you sell, you've got the opportunity funnel and the closed rate and the new ARR. And then customer success has totally different measurements. It's the retention rate, whether that's gross dollar retention or maybe they're advanced and they have retention plus expansion. Do you think it's required to kind of have one common set of metrics across that customer journey before we truly see integrated, if not well-aligned functions? I think it's okay to have the metrics be different. I think the methodology should be the same. And so without going too much into the media fly world, we have a concept called account energy, where our view of this is you take all of the different signals that indicate you know, engagement, interest, health, that kind of stuff, and then you use machine learning and AI and that kind of stuff to score these things against each other and bring that into a single account energy score. So the, the signals that you would have driving account energy earlier on in that, let's say that customer journey would include things like intent. What are they doing on G2 Crowd? What are they doing out on the web? More heavily than, let's say, I think post-sale after they become a customer then I think it probably is things like, are they adopting the solution? I think the metrics, the signals that flow into that account energy or whatever you want to call it, that would be that single score, I think change. But I think in our perspective, you can have a common and you should have a common score that transcends all those different stages from before, during, and after that sales cycle. Of course, we're going to double click on account energy score because that sounds like it's math-based and I love math. So are you saying you have a scoring algorithm that can actually measure the account energy during the customer acquisition and retention and expansion phases of their life cycle with you? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And that was what we assembled through a series of acquisitions over the last couple of years. But the big one we did about God, it's a couple of quarters ago was, was MediaFly acquired a company called Insight Squared, which really brought in a data lake machine learning, AI-based kind of backbone, and then visualization engine. And so what we crafted together with Insight Squared essentially was this concept of account energy. And so the idea was historically, revenue intelligence solutions would track activity like what's in CRM, what emails were going back and forth. If they're more sophisticated, they tie into conversation intelligence data that, you know, from like, let's say a, a gong or something like that. What they were all missing was the content data right? So what content's being presented, what's being shared, what's being distributed around and so forth. And so when we started kind of digging in deeper into how do we marry these things up, we realized there's a whole bunch of signals that are going, you know, largely uncollected. And so I think, you know, to your question there, that account energy score, the way we do it, 
it factors in all these different signals, but some of them might dry up. Like you might not have intense signal as a very meaningful piece during the customer retention and renewal expansion piece, right? And so, you know, the machine learning algorithm would lower the impact of that that signal at a post-sale stage, right? So each one of the stages has different weighting to those different signals, the way that we do it. So account energy, for instance, in stage three within a sales process might weigh intent data more heavily than let's say stage four or five or post-closed. Does that make sense? Okay. It sure does. Let's stay on that for our listening audience. So account energy score, it sounds similar to an account score in the account-based marketing nomenclature. You have a marketing qualified account or a sales qualified account. Is that correct? Yeah, I think it would it would be similar to or the way I used to think about it, like a marketing automation or account-based score. I think the difference here is that one is that uses machine learning for a particular environment to go back 15 months and say, for this particular type of company or this particular company, here's how these different factors weighed at different stages, right? So that's one thing I think might be a little bit different there. And then the company has the ability to actually tweak that a little bit so they can see, I, you know, I really think that emails you know, or content with this sort of, let's say, GDPR data in it in a late stage might have a higher meaning when it comes to account energy. So they could tweak it, but it's ultimately, we try and understand the meaning, the impact of that from using revenue intelligence and AI. So I'm going to keep double clicking on this because this is just, I think, is enlightening for audience. So you're saying based upon all these input signals, like what type of content that prospect engages with, maybe the dwell time on content, page one versus page five, versus page seven, all of that can factor into this account energy score and let a sales professional or a company know ah, this prospect has a higher propensity to buy. So focus more time there. That's right. Now, I would say the one caveat that I would have there is we don't think there's magic bullets. So we don't think that if you use this piece of content or if you use content with this topic, you're going to close the deal better. It's more, it's kind of like dyeing the veins in an MRI. So the consumption of content, whether it's presented or it's something I would share with you after a meeting and you passed around inside the organization, how well that gets consumed and how, let's say, how senior are the people that end up consuming it. And you know that level of engagement is ultimately what ascribes back score more so than the context within the content. Now, that being said, the context does also matter. And we have a whole bunch of different ways we use that. But right now, the biggest indicator we've found so far is just what is the level of engagement with the stuff that's being either shared, presented, or ultimately viewed off the web? Well, now I'm going to double click into this whole revenue or sales enablement. So based upon having this buyer journey centric you know, signals coming into you, does it fundamentally change the way we train a new account executive from our sales process and our gates and make it more of an outside in to how the customer interacts with particular pieces of content or messages and what their journey is? This is where I could spend probably an hour debating this. Let's say I were to send you a piece of content that had three topics in it. And I noticed you spent a whole bunch of time on the security segment. Then obviously I know that that's something you're interested in. My follow-up should be catered towards that, right? You know, we do recommend that and we think that has a very meaningful piece of that of that interaction. That being said, when I give presentations, I have this like crazy line that I bring up on the screen and I'm like, what is this? And people are, you know, I don't, you know, they're like, I don't know. And I say, this is the crazy journey that your buyer is on. And I talk to a lot of analysts and I talk to a lot of folks that say, you know, you got to meet the buyer where they are. You got to be a friend or a Sherpa on this journey. And then I talk to CROs and CMOs and they're like, we don't want to be a Sherpa or a friend on this crazy journey. We want to help 
influence and guide sellers in a more direct path towards my solution. So they use words like engage, influence, right? Not in a negative way, but I think it's a long answer to your question, which is, I think that's why I think there's a difference between the buying journey and the sales journey. I think the buyer would take a more circuitous route. I think what we think these different metrics and this, to your point, the sales enablement is, how do you help guide that seller to the conclusion you want them to get to faster, right? And so if you're interested in you know, security content, then my sales enablement solution suggests to you, here's some follow-up information you should send to this person. And that information should be interactive. It should allow them to go deeper and explore different things, right? So, so that way, AI can respond to it. I can try and give you what you're looking for, but then ultimately the content and you know, the way that sales enablement has set things up should try and guide that seller towards the next step, you know, towards buying your solution. First, it's interesting you say that because I spend a lot of time talking to both more traditional enterprise sales people, but also kind of the new age kind of customer acquisition, go-to-market strategy. And you said something I want to dig into a little bit more. Do you think the role of a vendor like us is to follow the buyer journey or to understand it so we can streamline from point A to point C and help them find value quicker, i.e. get to a decision-making process quicker? Well, let's see. So I was almost going to say second thing until you said just get to a decision-making process. I think it's, it's really get to a decision to buy my thing, right? Assuming I really believe that that is the right solution for you, right? And so I don't believe that the buyer will take the most naturally direct route to that. And I think there's also, there's so much more information out there that they're honestly struggling to fully understand. I mean, there's, there's so much, you look at Gartner, you look at Forrester, you look at this, you look at that, right? All these different things. There's so much data out there that I think at the end of the day, they want to know they're making a good decision, right? I think most people would, would like to be guided. I don't think the concept of following, I guess it, it's, are you leading them or following them along, right? And I think that more of the companies I talk to want to lead them versus just follow them and give them the information they're looking for, right? Does that make sense? It sure does. Because you know, one of the things when I ran go-to-market teams, I wanted to get to a point of serious consideration for the solution, not mine. Because sometimes, especially in earlier markets, 50% to 60% of sales process end up in a closed, lost, no decision. So I think getting to a, hey, there's business value and we've got the right stakeholders involved and saying we're going to do something, we just don't know what yet, is the first part of the marketing and sales role. Do you agree with that? So I 100% agree with that. Now, the, I guess the piece I would add to that is if somebody ends up in no decision, you know, I guess the question is, is it because you know it's not valuable for them or is it because it just wasn't convincing enough, right? And so in our world, we found a lot of companies struggle with how do you quantify your value in a way that it's truly defensible, so obvious. I mean, I could bring to my CFO and say, let's go buy this thing, right? So we actually own a, a sales calculator, the leading sales tool company for that. And so that's just a good example to me of, I could see a lot of companies, whether you're buying manufacturing stuff or you're buying you know, software, that you could end up in a no decision because that the company didn't fully, I guess, evangelize the value for you, right? On the other side of things, if it's not a fit, if somebody's not really going to buy this and it's actually not valuable to them, then I 100% agree with you, which is get to that no decision as fast as you can. I just wonder with, with so much data out there, how many companies are just inundated and they end up with, they end up getting to a no decision just out of paralysis of analysis. Yeah. Well, unless it's a, a Fortune 1000 type company with a well-defined 
procurement process with an identified project that is already budget being allocated to it, then it's very easy to understand that buyer journey. But if it's a opportunistic, you know, investment evaluation, there is no one size fits all buyer journey. And I think you have the chance to lead that prospect versus follow their internal buying process. 100%, 100%. You brought up the good point, which is, I think the same leading happens on the success and nurturing side of things as well. I think, you know, I see a lot of companies that end up in more of a um, support plus function, right? Or customer success, their journey is to make sure that you're happy with the solution, but but they haven't fully enabled the success team to cross-sell, upsell all the different solutions are coming out or things you might be acquiring. I think you end up in a very similar situation there where you've got that same challenge of evangelizing, quantifying, guiding that customer versus just kind of hoping that they're going to engage and then being a friend on that journey, right? So I think it kind of comes back to that first concept you have, which is I think so many of these things are important after that initial deal is closed as well. It's interesting. We just conducted some customer success research and partnership with Gainsight. And we actually found that 49% of B2B SaaS companies task customer success with identifying potential upsell, cross-sell opportunities, but then they hand it off to sales or account management for closing. And my question was, do you even see most organizations really enabling customer success to really ask the right questions or probe to even identify cross-sell upsell opportunities, Carson? So, no, I don't. I think it's one of the biggest areas of opportunity that I think is missed. You know, I think it's missed because you know, there's two separate sets of solutions that tend to get used today. And this is something that we're kind of changing. But you think about the solutions that customer success organizations use. So you mentioned Gainsight. They could use something totally different than um, the enablement or readiness or kind of like email outreach, account-based marketing solutions that the sales organizations use. Whereas the, a lot of the motion is very similar, right? And so I think that's one of the challenges. So you end up with two different solutions. Your, your RevOps team is trying to maximize two totally different solutions, right? That are now, you mentioned also, what if there's some handoff between AE and CSM uh, or customer success, and all of a sudden, you know, one group's using a different enablement solution than the other, right? I think that's one of the reasons why I think a lot of customer success organizations are not designed for that, right? So they turn it back over to the sales team because the sales has all the slick, fancy sales content. They've got all the fancy tools. That's one reason, I think. I think the other thing is just access to data, you know, with this whole kind of account energy concept or or anything else that a company was doing, you know, taking in all the signals to try and understand for, a, let's say, a chief sales officer or a chief customer officer to be able to look at their org and say, how many of my customer success people have talked about or presented content about the new solution in the last 90 days, right? I mean, I don't think most companies even have that knowledge to be able to say, I want everybody to talk about this new solution X to at least three companies a day, and then be able to actually look through conversation intelligence, emails, content presented, content shared, and did that actually happen, right? And so they're just missing all this data. So they can't even set the metric to then go hold the team accountable to. Yeah, this is another one of these topics that we could spend an hour on, and that's the whole concept of revenue enablement. And that is providing both new and current employees in the go-to-market teams, the same level of training on how do you actually identify potential opportunities? How do you nurture them a little bit? How do you hand off? And one of the things we've done, Carson, all of our clients, we're recommending that people track the new customer acquisition and the existing customer expansion opportunities very similarly. We've even came up with the concept of a customer success qualified lead, 
where they identify a cross-sell option opportunity. And even if they hand it off, they have co-ownership of seeing if that converts to new ARR or not. What do you think about that concept of having a customer success qualified lead? I love it. I mean, I love it. I think those are the customer success org are the boots on the ground, right? They're the ones interacting with their customers on a regular basis. I'd say, you know, if you take it one step further and you actually goal and incentivize them, you know, on that, you know, you essentially have, for lack of a better word, a whole team of demand generation folks, right? You know, I think sometimes you don't want to put them squarely in a sales role. They might not be thought of as a trusted partner. You know, what I see in a lot of customer success organizations is it's not top of their mind of, okay, I have to go find X number of accounts to go talk to about this thing. So when, I'm, when you think about it, how do you goal that customer success team? What does it look like, right? So you mentioned you maybe you need to drum up four new leads, right? If you were to go one level more granular that and say, not only do you need to generate four new leads, but in order to do that, I want you to talk about these things, make sure that every single, we got this brand new solution that just came out, you know, like for instance, Mediafly, we just launched this whole new messaging and whole new set of solutions. So how do we make sure that our customer success team is actually going out there and talking about those things, right? Because that would be kind of the, the leading indicator to, are they going to generate the amount of, to your point, you know, customer success qualified leads. And so I, I just find that most companies just have no idea what their CX team is talking about when it comes to that stuff. And I think if they did and they could set goals on it, you'd see so much more cross-sell, upsell understanding, or at least you'd understand where the gaps are, right? So if nobody's talking about it, then you can go back and say, what, are they not enabled? Do they not understand where the content is to share or to present? Do they not understand it? Are they not being trained on it? I don't think that first step is even being done by most companies you know, to drive you a level deeper. I totally agree. Can you imagine now going to a customer success manager and say, well, you have a goal of eight conversations this week on this new product, and we want to see one of those convert into a new qualified expansion opportunity. I don't see it happening very often, Carson. No, I don't either. But I think it's also kind of like saying, you know, hey, Ray, I want you to invent wireless power, right? It's kind of like you got to give them the tools. I think it's one thing to say, you know, CX team, I want you to just all of a sudden start to add a, you know, a sales function. But I think it's another thing to say, hey, you know, here we've given you these email cadences. We've given you this really rich, beautiful, interactive and animated piece of content. And then we're paying attention to, you know, how you're talking about these things. And we're going to coach you on those so we can up-level you. It's all the same stuff you do to the sales organization, right? You'd never send the sales organization out. Just, you know, let them just rip and just go, hey, go, go drum up leads, right? You know, you're using CI and you're using all these different things to try and help coach them. I just don't think those same metrics are applied to the CX organization. Totally understand. And we're going to do something a lot of entrepreneurs have to do, and that's pivot. And it's our last topic, Carson. So we've talked about the customer journey, also reframed as the buyer journey. We've talked about the customer life cycle. Now, there's another customer term we're hearing a lot, customer experience. So um, number one, how do you really measure what the customer experience is? Is it a measurable thing? I'm a numbers guy, so I assume everything's measurable at the end of the day. But you know, I, I'll tell you, when, when we use customer experience, it tends to be the broader set that includes all the different things that touch the customer, right? And I, I would say I see more people using it in kind of that you're leaving the buying process and turning into a customer, right? Versus, you know, you could argue that that customer experience starts, you know, the second you engage with our website. I agree with that, but to extend. I, but I think when I see more and more people talk about that customer experience, it's as I get ready to buy something, what does onboarding look like? What does professional services look like? What does retention look like? Like, what is that ongoing relationship that's kind of beyond just, let's say, customer success, something like that? I do think it's measurable. 
I don't know if it's the same for every company. I'm sure it's not. I know in our case, you know, we would ascribe to account energy should be a way of measuring it, assuming you're tuning into all, all the right signals and you're, you know, you're understanding what it, how each one weights against each other. That's my thought to it. I love it because you kind of, you default it almost to, it's more of a post-sales process, but with the account energy score, it can really be pre-sales. So my belief with customer experience is it goes right back to something you said earlier. It's circular. It's the entire experience from that initial awareness and engagement with your company to that first conversation, going through the conversion process from a interested suspect to a qualified prospect, to a customer, to a retained customer, and then a happy and expanded customer. I think customer experience is measuring the conversion at every point of the cycle all the way until they aren't a customer anymore. Yeah, I like it. I think so that you're describing very similar to, I think, the way we would look at it, which is, and it's one of the reasons why we, we really struggled with coming up with a, a term for that. And I think customer experience would probably have been another term for it. That's why we ended up calling it account energy because, you know, it was how do you find something that starts before they even become a customer during the sales process and then afterwards, right? We didn't want to use something that was, that was locked into one of those places. So I would say, you know, your definition of customer experience there is probably, is probably very similar to our definition of that account energy. Even though, you know, I don't want to make this a commercial for your company. I tell you, when I was doing my research, right, the fact that you kind of have named your solution portfolio Revenue 360, to me, it really resonated because that says you view the customer journey and customer experience as an ongoing, continuous, circular process. I love that. But we're going to wrap up, Carson, and I'm going to give the listening audience the chance to get to know you a little bit more on a personal basis with three quick questions. And the first is, is there a CEO or company that you think is a must-follow in 22? You know, I'm personally a big Elon Musk fan. I know that he's, he's very controversial, but he's always somebody I would say follow. I would say broadly, a category to follow. I think the revenue broadly revenue enablement space, I think is just going to be crazy this year. I think following the Gong, Six Sense, Demand-Based, Zoom Info outreach companies, I think you watch those, it is going to be a battleground amongst uh, amongst that set. You know, we put ourselves in there as well. I think it's going to be exciting to watch all those companies this year. I agree. We just conducted some research on the number one category for investment in sales tech this year, and it was enablement, revenue enablement. So the research aligns with your kind of vision. Second one, and I think you may have already answered this with your first question answer, and that is, which tool, not your own, should every SaaS company be using? So I think it's account-based marketing. I think when I think of signals, if you're not tuning into the, like the third-party intent signals, you're just wandering around blind, right? It's like you can only see three feet in front of you. And so that would definitely be the one that I would say, account-based marketing in general. Gotcha. And then the third and last question you're getting ready to go talk to a college student who's getting ready to graduate or someone who just graduated and they want to be the next great B2B SaaS founder, just like you. What advice do you give them as a recent college grad or soon to be college grad? You know, I talk to a lot of, you know, entrepreneurs and young folks. I think the number one thing is find mentors and listen. I find so many entrepreneurs have to go and I, was, I, I fell in this bucket, have to go make all their same mistakes again and again. And so finding mentors that have done what you're trying to do and then and actually listening, actually adjusting what you're doing, I think can save a lot of time. I know early on I joined entrepreneur organization and it was a lifesaver, probably saved my company and my marriage. Just, you know, the ability to have, you know, really intimate relations with people that have gone through exactly what you're going through and, and share that camaraderie. So that, that's what I, I feel like I'm a, always on a soapbox when I'm telling entrepreneurs to do that. 
Love, love it. ABL, always be listening and find that mentor. Well, Carson, that's going to be a wrap to today's episode. Thank you so much for being our guest. Right. This is awesome. Thanks so much for having me. I could keep doing this for a couple hours. And to our listening audience, if you're enjoying our guests and the topics we discussed, like we did with Carson Conant of Media Fly Today on the entire concept of customer journey, buyer journey, it would mean the world to us to go ahead and subscribe to the Metrics That Major Up podcast and your favorite podcast app. Go ahead and give us that five-star rating and even give us some advice on how we can make the podcast even more valuable for you as a B2B SaaS or cloud practitioner. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thanks. Take care. Thank you for listening to today's Metrics to Measure Up podcast. If you would like to learn more about B2B SaaS metrics and benchmarks, please visit revopsquared.com.